Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Well, Energy Talks listeners, today we are going to nerd out. Yes, if you are an energy nerd, this is the podcast for you, because we're going to be talking about industrial emissions, carbon pricing in Alberta. Woot woot! Doesn't that sound like a lot of fun? Well, whether it does or whether it doesn't, that doesn't make it's still a really important issue. And it has been for a long time. And it's also been very politically controversial. And but recently, the Alberta government, the federal government came to an agreement on how to improve the uh, technology innovation and emissions reduction regulation, otherwise known as TIER. And I'm going to talk to Scott McDougall, who's a senior advisor with the Pemina Institute, and he focuses on carbon pricing in oil and gas, and uh, find out what changes have been made, but what changes still need to be made. So welcome to the interview, Scott. I'm happy to be here, Marco. Thank you. Well, look, we need to provide a little background because not all of our, in fact, probably the majority of our our listeners are uh, going to be from out of the province and maybe even out of the country. So back in 2007, uh, Alberta, which is the whole, it's kind of Tex- Canada's Texas, it's where most of the oil and gas is produced, it brought in Seeger, the specific, uh, I'm going to let you explain it, what Seeger was. Sure. Yeah, it was the Specified Gas Emitters Regulation, and it was the first industrial carbon pricing system in North America. Uh, so it was. Uh, it, it it really uh, puts Alberta on the map for carbon policy. Um, and uh, what it did is it uh, it recognized that you know pricing emissions could incent emission reductions, and that's a good thing. Uh, and there was a risk of uh, too much uh, carbon cost on industry driving industry out of the province. So it did what's uh, what's now a really common practice, but back then was was uh, kind of on the frontier. Uh, it set up a system where it set um, rules about how many of uh, industry's emissions it could emit for free, uh, and then sort of set a marginal amount of uh, of a facility's emissions that it had to pay uh, a price on. And if it did better than uh, than that level, then they could get credits. Okay, and it's really important, for, uh, again, for non-Albertans, and maybe a lot of Albertans, who don't understand that Alberta constitutes 38% of Canada's national emissions. That's 12% of the population responsible for 38% of a country's emissions. And oil and gas, most of which it gets produced in Alberta, is responsible for 26% of Canada's national emissions. So this is, a, in terms of of climate change, this is a big issue, but also increasingly as uh, carbon and emissions intensity of various products, it's becoming a trade issue. So if you want, and the industry has known this has been coming for, you know, at least 15, 15 years, that eventually they would have to be not only cost competitive, 
but carbon competitive because if they didn't, there would be a price attached to it and they they might not be competitive in the in the US market or in, in Asian markets, wherever, whatever it is. So this is important. Now, Seeger, uh, the carbon price was $20 and, and it was in place up until 2015. And that's when the Notley NDP government, left-leaning government for non-Canadians, uh, brought in the Carbon Competitiveness Incentive uh, Regulation, CCIR. Maybe ex explain what that is, uh, Scott. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, basically an advance, uh, like a like a like a improved form of industrial carbon pricing. It's so. I mean, it did build on a lot of the backbone of what uh, specified gas emitters regulation uh, had, but it. Um, sort of fixed in a way the, uh, the way that they did the free allocations because uh, in SGER, uh, Seger, they, they gave the free allocations on a facility basis. So it kind of looked at how each individual facility was performing in its, in its history and then said, well, you know, you, you got to do a little bit better than how you did in the past. So, I mean, a, a really high performing facility uh, had to, uh, you know, dig pretty darn deep uh, to to uh, to meet its target because if it uh, compared to it like a, maybe a a, a poorer performing uh, facility. So recognizing that that was you know maybe not a great feature of SGER, um, CCIR uh, looked more at products uh, and looked more at sectors and said, well, you know, everybody producing a given product ought to be you know competing with each other in uh, in a greenhouse gas intensity kind of kind of sense so uh, it set the uh, those sort of thresholds or the benchmarks for free allocations at the level of a, of a really good performing facility and there were, there were lots of different ways that they sliced and diced that but that's that's basically the problem Right. And, and this is really important because basically the, the government decided what the industry benchmark was. And if your uh, production was below that industry benchmark, then you paid. And if you you're, were, were above, if you were a good performer, if you were above the industry benchmark, then you got credits. And they wanted to, to they wanted to in, uh, reward and incentivize the uh, the high performers, and they wanted to penalize and get the you know greater action on the part of the the laggards. And it was I remember when this came in, and it was widely praised. And the only fly in the ointment, the only fly in the ointment was that they brought in output based pricing. And now not everybody agrees that that was a problem, uh, but it was based. It basically provided an 80 to 90% discount on the carbon price because they were worried about carbon leakage. And I and I never understood that argument because I guess I, I can get it for conventional production, which is a very small part of, of Alberta's oil output, but the oil sands ain't going nowhere. There is no carbon leakage in the oil sands industry, right? So if you have a carbon price and they pay and uh, that capital is not going to be, you know, those plants up in Northern Alberta are not going to be uprooted and shipped off to Venezuela uh, to avoid the carbon tax. And so I, I never, I always thought that was a, a considerable weakness of CCIR is, is the output uh, pricing system, but at least it was moving in the right direction and the government was committed to raising the industry benchmark over time. And I think that was a, a key 
part. So anyway, it was a good, it was a good system. It was a, one of the, it was a big improvement on, on Seeger. And then in uh, 2019, the UCP, uh, uh, the conservative government came back in and they brought in tier. Tell us about tier. Sure. Um, and just before I do, I just want to pick up on something that you said there. Like, I think that CCIR was a big step in that it, it it recognized the value of future-proofing the Canadian oil and gas sector and focusing on carbon competitiveness uh, and well, carbon and cost competitiveness to do this. Um, I, I think that it it represented a real shift in the way people talked about carbon policy in Alberta uh, and the sector in general. Um, and I thought it was really positive. Um, so with with tier, um, yeah, I, I think it was a bit of a step backwards, uh, honestly, because it it went back by and large, it went back to uh, the uh, facility specific historic benchmarking approach uh, from uh, SGER, and uh, you know a lot of the time, it, like in, in in most cases, the uh, the ambition level in the benchmarking was not as strong. I guess the the notable exception was with the electricity sector, where they they maintained uh, best in class uh, benchmarking methodology that was pretty strong. It was keyed to uh, like a, a very high performing uh, gas fired electricity uh, generator, um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that was good. But other than that, yeah, I, I think it was a weekend. In uh, after it was introduced, uh, Professor Andrew Leach, who's an economist at the University of Alberta, uh, wrote a, a blog post in which he he did the calculations and he said, "Look, this is an improvement for the electricity system." We agree on that," he said. "But it dilutes the 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 uh, impact or the effect of carbon pricing for the oil sands by about two thirds." Or he said, let me rephrase. The it it diluted it by a third. So the 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 carbon pricing effect was only two thirds of what it had been under CCIR. And there were reports of oil sands companies paying, you know, like under a dollar per barrel, you know, for carbon pricing, and or maybe you know two dollars at at the outside. And and when oil prices are eighty to a hundred dollars a buck or two. Uh, I know I probably gets the, you know, the accountants all hot and bothered about having to pay that. But really, in the grand scheme of things, it's not much of an incentive to lower to lower emissions. Right. OK. You for those who can't see, uh, Scott, is I'm nodding. agreeing. I am nodding. <laughs> right. OK. So now uh, <clears throat> late last year. Uh, the federal government, and, and this is other some more background that's important. The federal government, because there are 10 provinces and the, the federal government, uh, you know, we're, Canada is a loose confederation. So a lot of what we're talking about here falls under the provincial government and the federal government can, can't come in and dictate uh, carbon pricing. But what it can do, it can set standards and then it negotiated a federal backstop. And, and or it had a backstop and it would negotiate a, a equivalency agreements with each one of the provinces. That's what it had done with with uh, CCIR. And then it negotiated an equivalency agreement with uh, about around tier. I think it was in 2020, uh, somewhere in around. It was few, shortly afterwards it was brought in. Um, then they went back uh, recently and renegotiated that equivalency agreement. So what are the terms of the of the new equivalency agreement, Scott? Uh, 
so yeah, the federal government, I mean, they, they published a strengthened um, uh, benchmark, uh, I guess they call it, um, strengthened set of rules that the, all the provinces needed to, to follow. Um, the, the main thing to me is that they required that the provinces put into law that they would uh, adopt the federal carbon price. Uh, and commit not just to today's carbon price, but out to 2030. So that's the $170 per ton uh, carbon price in 2030. And then it, it ratchets up between now and then. Uh, so I guess it's $65 per ton right now. Um, so that was that was big because previously a lot of the provinces like Alberta, they would just, you know, year by year, you know, everybody would wait with bated breath for them to commit to the carbon price for that year. Um, and now it, there's there's more line of sight. So that adds certainty to the overall carbon pricing system and the investments that it's uh, designed to, to, to trigger. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of the big one. I guess the other one is, is a little bit harder to see. Um, and that's that the provinces uh, had to demonstrate that they would uh, achieve the same emission reductions as the federal carbon pricing system, the OBPS, output-based uh, pricing system, um, if it was in place in that province. So where the federal government strengthens their own system, um, the provinces essentially had to show that they would achieve equivalent emission reduction outcomes. Um, so, I mean, it was pretty flexible about how they would do that. Um, so uh, I guess the provinces and, and, and the federal government had quite a bit of back and forth in terms of modeled outcomes from their their the various systems in order to achieve these equivalency uh, agreements. And equivalency was announced, I think it was December right. uh, last year. Right. And the um, <clears throat> uh, my notes here say that the amount of emissions that emissions that facilities may emit without paying the carbon price will be phased out faster for all facilities. And, and I think I saw that the tier had called for the carbon pricing to basically become stricter by 1% every year. And now that will be up to 4%, which is a considerable improvement, one would think. Yeah, it's actually now we're getting into the specifics of, uh, of the improvements. So yeah, I, I, like I, I think that overall, I mean, the tier changes are very positive. Um, so they do support emission reductions in Alberta's oil and gas uh, in particular, uh, and not just in carbon capture, but we, we, which we accept are you know, big expensive projects, uh, but they incense other things too, uh, like methane uh, reductions, in situ solvent uh, use, uh, electrification. And this should be very positive for industry's decarbonization objectives uh, because there's more cash on the table for every ton of carbon saved. Uh, and I guess drilling down right. a bit more, I mean, I did mention the $170 per ton, um, uh, you know, price commitment uh, that the, the provinces have, have had to write into law. Uh, I guess there's also, uh, to your point, I mean, the, the benchmarks, the, the free allocations will have to be reduced more quickly. And for the oil sand sector, um, the, the rate of reductions is, uh, in 2029, it's, it's going to align with what we think would be needed to achieve Canada's uh, net zero goal uh, by 2050. Um, so that's, that's positive. Um, the, um, that's, that's, that's especially positive. 
And then there's a new class of carbon capture utilization or new classes of carbon capture utilization or CCUS credits created in tier. Um, and these are gonna allow CCS projects to generate credits in tier as well as the clean fuel regulation. Because previously they, could, they had to choose which of those systems they would generate credits in. And these credits along with other, like the considerable existing and announced federal incentives like the CCUS investment tax credits, the oil and gas emissions cap, uh, carbon contracts for difference mean that uh, we don't think further measures such as changes to Alberta's oil sands royalty system, which we hear talk about every now and then, uh, we don't think they're going to be needed. And there is sufficient upfront and sustained support for CCUS projects to progress uh, now in Alberta or soon in Alberta. Well, let's talk about that because I'm interested. Uh, and, and again, as background for, for non-Canadians and non-Albertans and for those Albertans who aren't paying attention. Um, there is a, a big debate going on around the decarbonization of the oil sands, which, by the way, they alone represent 11 to 12 percent of Canada's national emissions, about 68 megatons uh, per year. And so the question uh, becomes, uh, how do you do that? Uh, and there's been, you know, there's, there's going to be an oil and gas uh, emissions cap. And. The, the industry has put together, the, all the oil sands companies uh, banded together in this Pathways Alliance organization, and they've proposed this plan to decarbonize by 2050. It's going to be cost $75 billion. They want government to pay $50 billion of that. And they've uh, two-thirds of the reductions would be accomplished through carbon capture utilization and storage. So basically, you bolt on some equipment onto a, an oil sands facility and you pipe it out to a, a CO2 trunk line and then you ship it down south to the cold lake, which is in northern northeastern uh, Alberta, and you bury it underground. And that's and that's where it gets stored. That's the that's the proposal. And the federal government came out with an uh, investment tax credit to incentivize CCUS uh, primarily for the for the oil sands uh, and then the question became, you know, the, the industry and the Alberta government said, well, that's not enough. And the federal government came back and said, oh, well, the Alberta government isn't putting anything into it yet. And I think that's not, actually not true. I think it was like $315 million the government had, the Alberta government had committed. And they said, we're done. We think that now, Alberta, if you wanted this to go ahead, you you need to step up. And that hasn't been sorted out yet. That's still kind of being debated. And we'll we'll see where that all goes. So my question for you, Scott, is how do the changes to tier, do they provide more money on the table to the oil sands and maybe to the oil industry generally uh, to decarbonize? Or, or sorry, for, for CCUS, that's the question I wanted to ask. Yeah, yes, they do. Um, so these new credits, um, I mean, with... I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to go with them, but at a, at a high level, they, I'll, I'll uh, stop you when you get too deep. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, previously, uh, CCS projects could generate offsets, emissions offsets, uh, which have to, I mean, to, to, to meet offset requirements, they've got to be sort of above and beyond what's required or already incented in, in, uh, in regulation and beyond what's normal. 
in the industry. So um, these new classes of credits, so sorry, before I go to that, that's one reason why you couldn't get credits for CCS in tier as well as in the clean fuels regulation or, or other regulations, because you're already incented somewhere else, so you, you, you can't get an offset. So being able to get credits in both systems is uh, a, a boon uh, for uh, many of these projects. Um, the, uh, the other thing is, uh, I mean, these credits um, in tier, I mean, they can be used for compliance. Uh, so to reduce a facility's compliance at the tier fund rate. So at $170 in 2030 or $65 uh, day to day. But uh, you know, a lot of the time those, those projects uh, or, the, or their, their uh, host companies, you know, maybe they couldn't use all of those, all of the credits generated to reduce their own compliance. So they'd want to sell them. And then, so then they've got to sell in the credit market and there's a little bit of a discount from the carbon price, uh, the headline carbon price in the in the actual credit value. Um, so there's some changes uh, within these new tier CCUS credits that actually, I think will lead to less of a discount on those credits as well. Uh, so that's kind of two, two changes um, that I, I, I think significantly add value uh, to, to the revenues, uh, carbon revenues in these CCUS projects. Okay, so is it fair to say now, and we'll wrap up the conversation uh, with with uh, this topic, is it fair to say now that uh, with the changes to tier, uh, which puts Alberta government money on the table, uh, and the investment tax credit, that uh, the government, the public portion of the support for carbon capture utilization and storage for the oil sands is in place? And now yes. it's up to now it's up to industry to finance whatever the gap is between you know whatever the cost is. Uh, you just said yes, so maybe you'll get you to elaborate on that. Sure. Yeah, I I think governments uh, between the the Alberta government and the federal government uh, have put a lot of cash on the table in incentives, and Canadians are going through tough financial times right now. Government doesn't have an unlimited pot of money and industry is making record profits right now. So why should we not expect it to also invest some of that in future-proofing their own operations? So I think this goes beyond Canada's climate targets and is about industry choosing now whether to remain competitive in the coming years as the world transitions to net zero emissions. And in that sense, decarbonization investments are like any other investment. Uh, in the past, they would have spent big profits in new production uh, to future-proof their operations. And now they should be spending on decarbonizing uh, to also future-proof their operations. Well, I'm going to close out, close our interview by, with this comment, um, Scott. And, and that is one thing we can all agree on is public capital for the trend to uh, support the transition to the clean energy economy is is scarce there's not it's going to take trillions and trillions of dollars even in, in a, a country you know 37 million like canada and there's no way that the uh, the governments can fund it all uh and it's but so what we do spend we have to spend wisely and i've argued for a long time that the federal government in fact is supporting uh, the CCUS for the oil sands uh, too heavily. 
I, I think that it's you know, that's maybe a subjective uh, you know point of view on on my part, but I think that the money that it was spent by the federal government on that could have been sp spent better with a better return on things like you know supporting the build out of the clean electricity system or advanced materials or you know pick your clean energy energy topic of uh, you know pet project uh but nevertheless this, they made the de this decision and it looks like the, the the line in the sand has been drawn and that was about time i would say uh, because there's been a pretty a fair amount of political pressure by put on by the oil and gas industry you know for government to pay a much bigger share so good on them and good for the alberta government to to step step up in particular since it's been earning record revenues i think it was 12 billion dollars oil and gas uh, royalties uh, just in the last fiscal year uh so fair to say uh just a quick comment from you fair to say scott this is a big improvement we've we've uh, alberta basically has the carbon pricing system in place it needs to move forward and hit 2030 climate targets if everything you know sort of falls the way it needs to Yes, to all of the above there, uh, Marco. Uh, these changes are positive and they do put Canada on a better track uh, to meeting its targets. Excellent. Well, we have good we have good climate news coming out of the oil and gas industry. It's not often that happens. Scott, thank you very much for this. A pleasure as always. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Marco.